0: Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, we are closing out our, uh, this introduction here to this letter written by the Apostle John to the churches throughout Asia, to the local church at the time right after Christ had ascended into heaven. Our passage of study will be verses... 9 through 20 in Revelation chapter 1, it can be found on page 1028 in the Bibles in front of you. And uh, let me just encourage you to, to look at the scriptures here, because this is very illustrative here about what John sees, and it's important for us to see these words and how he describes his vision. This is God's holy and errant word to us this morning. I, John... and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands are one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. His, the hairs of his head were white like When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, these things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. O great God, open up your words of life to us this morning and help us to see the Lord Jesus in all of his glory for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. In the 1860s, it can be argued that the center of the cultural world, especially as it related to the arts, would have been Paris, France. The government actually held annual art shows at a very famous location known as the Salon. And at the Salon, Artists if, would show their art, and if you wanted to make a, a name for yourself, that's where you wanted to have your art exhibited, there at the salon. That's anyone who was anyone in the art world would be there. However, there were some artists who were, who were shunned from this particular uh, show uh, as the powerful academic elites of the art world uh, sought to make a name for themselves, these other artists kind of rebelled against that and wanted to do their own thing. These artists rejected the the fine finish and detail and precision and very linear perspective on the world that most of the artists of their day aspired to. This new band of artists known as Impressionists, they wanted to capture life in a more unique and, and more realistic and more impressionistic way as they viewed the real world. So these artists sought to create art that was not necessarily ideal or perfect, but rather their art would concentrate on the world as the way they saw it. It would be very colorful and, and random, and at times even seemingly abstract. Perhaps you've heard of some of these impressionists from this period, artists like Monet and Degas, and much later they influenced men like Picasso. Why do I tell you all of this? I'm not an art history major, I promise you. Here in Revelation chapter 1, what we have here is the Apostle John giving us a very impressionistic portrait of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And so understanding this vision, much like understanding impressionistic art, is a helpful way for us to see this passage in a very realistic way. Not that we try to recreate in real life exactly what John saw here in his vision, but rather John is trying to describe for us his vision in very powerful, vivid terms, very impressionistic terms to help us see this is what Jesus is like. This is how he appeared to me. And so this vision, it's a a symbolic vision of the exalted and glorious Jesus Christ given to him by the angel. And so we are not necessarily to take this vision literally. John, the apostle John, is describing Christ here in the best that he can do in human terms. It's very, very wonderful how he describes Jesus. This vision is simply heavenly, heavenly. And so it's the best that John can do to describe the Lord Jesus Christ in comparative language. That's why he uses a lot of those similes, you know, you may remember from grammar, like and as. Jesus was like this. I saw him as this. So what John is writing for us here, what he's describing to us is a a picture, a, a portrait, if you will, full of very rich imagery and symbolism that's not necessarily to be painted, so that we can hang it up on a wall and worship it. No, it's a a portrait, it's a picture to be pondered of the exalted and glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So this vision of the glorious Christ is, is given to us so that Jesus Christ might be exalted and glorified in his church among his people. Even now, as we ponder and meditate on this passage, may God help us to worship king jesus and so this passage is teaching us that jesus is exalted he he is sovereign over all he he is greater than anything we can imagine he is greater than any power and authority there is there's no one like jesus there is no one that can match his sovereignty there is no one as powerful as the lord jesus christ and so as we study this passage my hope and prayer for you and me is that we will not take the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ lightly, but we will worship him for who he is and more intently as an exalted and holy, holy, holy Lord. And so since Jesus is this exalted and holy, holy Lord, he is is worthy of our worship and our praise. And so as we work our way through this this description, through this vision here of John, we need to recognize our call to worship and to praise Jesus for his glory, for his greatness, and for his graciousness. So the first we find there, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ because of his glory, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 16 at this description here from the Apostle John. We worship Jesus in reverent fear because of his glory, his his transcendent majesty, his, his grandeur, this awesome God that he is that we read about in uh, our call to worship from these select passages from Revelation. Jesus is, is glorious. The, the New Testament meaning for the word glory uh, has, finds its use in the Old Testament Hebrew word for uh, glory is kabod. And this idea of kabod means, means heavy or, or weighty. Kabod uh, conveys the idea that someone who possesses glory is laden with riches, with power, with with stature. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ appears to John in overwhelming glory. The, the weightiness of the glory of Christ was was heavy upon John as he saw him. He saw Jesus as transcendent. He he is supreme. He's a, above and beyond the natural and material universe. He is is otherly. He's otherly distinct from anything we know here on this earth. And this is evidenced in verse 13 specifically when the Apostle John describes Jesus as one like the Son of Man. This title, the Son of Man, is the number one title that Jesus uses for himself in the Gospels. But from this title, John is especially calling our attention to what we read earlier in the worship service, Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, this title is used to describe the Messiah, the ruler of the universe. He is here, the son of man is divine and eternal and sovereign, and he has the ultimate authority. He is glorious. And so this picture of Christ in Daniel chapter 7 and also here in Revelation 1 illustrates this power and majesty and transcendence and glory of Jesus. There is no person, no one that could possibly come as close to the awesomeness of who he is. And so John was using this title, the Son of Man, to describe the exaltation, the transcendence, the splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ that he was actually seeing. He was seeing a majestic Lord. He was seeing Jesus here in all his majesty, and he begins to describe that in great detail in verses 13 through 16. And he's using, again, these comparative terms to try to help describe the vision that he had. And that's, again, he uses like and as to, to help us recognize the majesty and the kingly appearance here of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he looked like and also what he was wearing. He seemed to be wearing very kingly and priestly apparel. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as a great high priest that always lives to intercede for his people. And so his clothes here tell us about who he is as our intercessor, our mediator between God and man, the great and majestic high priest. And so this physical appearance that John is describing here is amazing. Look in verse 14. His head and hair are described as being white as snow, like wool. Have you ever been out in the snow uh, after it's blanketed, the land, and the sun comes out? It's blinding. You literally cannot see. It's so bright and, and glorious. Glorious, and this is, this is the type of whiteness, bright white glory that Jesus' hair was like. His eyes, there in verse 14, John describes them being like blazing fire or like a flame of fire. This is an image of purity and purification and piercing glory described by his eyes. His piercing insight and eyesight just can search and see everything as the exalted God. Verse 15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace or burnished bronze. These are the feet of the sovereign Lord who tramples down wickedness and his enemies before him. Verse 15, his voice. He describes his voice like the sound of rushing mighty waters. So John was here on the island of Patmos, a very small, kind of secluded island, not really a place you want to go visit. But it was said, Patmos is said to have had rocky shores. And so perhaps as John was exiled to this island, you could imagine that he was hearing the, the mighty breakers breaking up against the rock over and over, this sound of this Booming waters is what John describes Jesus' voice like. And then verse 16, his mouth. His mouth had a sharp, double-edged, two-edged sword coming out of it, which, of course, as we know from the Scriptures, represents the word of God, the word of judgment coming from the mouth of Jesus that penetrates like a sharp, two-edged sword. And then John goes on to describe the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus. And one of the ways that he does this is he describes the Lord Jesus here by holding seven stars in his hand. So think about that for a minute. This is a very illustrative way of saying that the Lord Jesus is so big, He is so mighty. He is so powerful that he can simply reach out and grab seven stars in his hand. How awesome is that? All right, I need the children's help for a minute here. Can any children tell me? Sometimes adults are forgetful, okay? So we need reminding. Can any children tell me what the closest star to our planet is? I heard it. I heard it. The sun, yes. Great. Forget that word sometimes. The sun, that's right, the sun. The sun is very big. Does anybody know, if you don't work for NASA, if you, if you work for NASA, you can't answer this. Okay. Uh, does anybody know how many earths it would take to, to comprise the size of the sun? Or how many? Oh, my goodness. My own children know. I didn't tell you this. Well, How many? It's, it's like 1.3 million. That's how many earths it would take to make up the sun. Okay, think about how big that is. Okay, that is breathtaking. Now imagine this description that, G, that, that John is, is saying about Jesus here. He is so powerful that he can hold seven suns in his hand. He is so powerful, he can hold nine million earths in his hands. So we sang that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. We need to really change that. He's got the whole universe. He's got the whole cosmos. He's got it all in his hands. That is how powerful the Lord Jesus is. Our God is so big, so great, and so mighty. He's awesome. There's nothing our God cannot do, right? This is how powerful Jesus is. Think about that, who John is describing here. But he also describes Jesus as radiant. And so to summarize the transcendence of Christ and his majesty, in verse 16, John describes Jesus' face being like the sun, shining in its brilliance are like the sun shining in full strength. Several months ago, all the experts were telling us, don't look at the eclipse. (laughs) You'll go blind. And then some of us did. I'm seeing spots. You know, they're right. (laughs) It's, it's, It's that powerful. It's that bright. It's that majestic. The UV rays of the sun are just too strong for the unprotected eye. In the same way, this glorious, brilliant, majestic, radiant Christ that John was seeing was like the sun shining in full strength. Later in the book of Revelation in chapter 21 Jesus is described as being the light of heaven. That in heaven there is no sun. There is no flashlight. There are no lamps because the glory, the radiance of God gives it It's brightness, it's light, and the the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is its lamp. Think about that. In heaven, we'll be able to see because of this bright, radiant glory of Jesus illuminating the place. John was seeing someone here very awesome, very powerful, very radiant. A Lord Jesus Christ whose glory is not to be taken lightly. And so what is our response to this glory, this majesty, this radiance, this holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ? What should we do? Worship him. Worship him. When you and I come grips to grips and face to face with the majesty and with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are to worship him. And these descriptions that are given to us here are to help us magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and to strike us with a sense of awe and wonder and help us to realize that we have thought way too little of Jesus. We have not thought of him as someone who is powerful enough to hold seven stars in his hands. And so our response should be that of John. Remember John. This is the Apostle John, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, the scriptures say. He was considered a very special friend to Jesus. And yet, what was his response to this Savior that he saw in verse 17? It says, he fell at his feet as though dead. Why does he do this? Why does he fall down prostrate here before Jesus? It is out of worship. Out of worship. The picture that we often have in our mind of Jesus being a, a, a gentle and meek and mild man is not the Jesus that is depicted here in Revelation chapter one. This is not a guy with, you know, nice auburn hair. He's actually got white hair. Uh, with a lamb in his hands. This is a is a is a glorious and exalted and powerful King and Savior who who is, who is too, uh, too awful to approach, yet, as we'll see, too wonderful to resist. Let me illustrate this for you through an illustration I've used before, and it's worth repeating again. C.S. Lewis gives a great illustration of what this reverent fear and worship of Jesus might look like in his work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in which the Christ-like figure in that book, Aslan, uh, is described as, to the children as neither tame nor safe. Let me take you to the scene here. Is, 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 is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the king of beasts? "'Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion.' "'Ooh,' said Susan. "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall feel very rather nervous about meeting a lion.' "'That you will, dearie, and make no mistake,' said Mrs. Beaver." If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then, is, then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter even if I do feel frightened when it comes to that point. That's right, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver, bringing his paw down on the table with a crash that made all the cups and saucers rattle, and so you shall. Of course, he is good, but he is great. He is the great king and glorious. Secondly, in this passage, we notice that Jesus is also great. He has a greatness that's beyond anything we could ever imagine. He is described here as the one who is sovereign and who is powerful over the cosmos. And in verse 17, Jesus says that he is the first and the last. He is identifying himself essentially the same way he did back in verse 8 where he says that he is the alpha and the omega. That is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And what he is saying here is that he is the Alpha. He's the creator of the cosmos. But he is the Omega. He is the one who will will consummate and complete all things. He is sovereign over the past, the present, and the future. And he says in verse 18 that he has the power over life and death. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Death is a state that we're all destined for, right? And Hades is a place in the scriptures. And he is sovereign over both. Both submit to him. He has power over both of them. What happens beyond death and life belongs to him. He wins. He gets the victory. He is the one who has absolute sovereign power and final say over this world and over this cosmos. And he has the power to give life and the power to destroy. Jesus is described here as eternal. His greatness is displayed in his eternality. He says, I am the living one. In Romans 6, Paul says, for we know that since Jesus was raised from the dead, he cannot die. He cannot die. Death no longer has mastery over him. He is the living one. He is the eternal one. And he states again in verse 18, I am alive forever and ever. There's no time limit on the Lord Jesus' life. He is the King eternal. He lives forever. He does not expire. He is immortal. He is unchangeable. He is indestructible. And so, again, how do we respond to all this? We worship. We worship him. We bow down before him, but we also trust him. We can trust and believe this wonderful Savior because he's the first and the last. He is the living one. He is the one who holds the keys to death and Hades. He will finish what he started. He does and will reign forever and ever, and we can trust that he will do what he says. Finally, we worship this glorious, holy Lord Jesus because he is gracious. He is gracious. Notice the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ there in verse 17 with me. By the way, he shows affection and restoration and comfort. With affection, he comes and he lays his hand on John. John, who is mortified, who is in this dead-like state, who is lying prostrate and and dead like before the son of God and Jesus places his right hand on him to demonstrate his affectionate love and grace to John. He then restores John. We, We can assume that because Jesus touches him he's no longer mortified. He is given life by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus ultimate display of grace is shown here when he speaks to John saying, do not be afraid. John, do not be afraid. Again, John, petrified, mortified, scared to death by the glory and the awesomeness and the power of the Jesus he was seeing, and Christ comes to to comfort him and tell him, do not be afraid. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the fear and the shock that John must have been feeling? Can you imagine that the one who is causing you to tremble in fear is the same one who comes to you and says, Do not be afraid. The scholar Vern Porthris ponders the scene by saying this. John falls down overwhelmed. Christ is our friend, according to John chapter 15. But he is more than a mere friend. He is awesome in majesty and power and purity. Too many Christians in our generation have seen Christ only as a buddy, losing sight of his majesty. And revelation provides a very strong correction to this notion. So again, what's to be our response to this? to this Jesus we see here in Revelation chapter 1. Again, you and I are to fear and to worship him. His glory is is amazing. It will blow us away. It will cause us to be dead-like if we appeared before him. But he says, fear not. Because his grace is the only thing that can allow us to be in his presence. And so when you and I begin to grasp the glory and the majesty of The Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes to us and says, it is I who gives you life and breath and everything else, and says, basically, look at me, do not be afraid. He puts his hand on our shoulder and he encourages us not to fear and to look to him. The grace and love of Jesus Christ draws us near to him. And so I ask, are you you gripped? by the glory and the greatness and the graciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you marveling daily at how awesome he is? Or should you spend some time in confession today, confessing that you have taken his glory lightly? If you have been taking the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, then spend some time in prayer today and ask that God would change your heart and reveal to you that Jesus is this glorious one who appears to us here in his word. If you have not considered this Jesus who the scriptures speak about, if you do not see him as your savior and king, then I invite you to do so. Be reconciled to this awesome God who is king and who is savior and who is Lord. And bend your knee and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not only glorious and great, but who is also gracious. Listen to his graciousness here from John chapter 6. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose nothing that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, our Lord says. May God help us to look the son let's pray oh father we confess to you that we have taken the glory of the lord jesus lightly yes he is a friend yes he was a man yes he did suffer and die for us it was raised again yes he was born a baby in the manger Most especially, Lord, we see now, yes, he is the exalted, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on this wonderful Savior, the author and perfecter of our faith, the the glorious one, the one who is greater than all of our sins, the one who is greater than all of our problems, the one who holds the universe in his hands. Help us to look to him and to worship him and to go to him. We pray in his holy name. Amen.